Hello, hello. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I'm not too far away from you, am I? No, no. I, I, no my oh. hearing's not too bad. Oh, good. <laughs> Mine, mine's pretty bad. <laughs> no, actually, I was quite pleased with the hearing. Yeah. yeah. yeah I haven't lost much hearing. That, actually, that, that was one of the questions. So I'd, did you have a look at the questions that were sent in? No. No, I had a, um, yeah, I suppose I did about two or three of them. I was yeah. caught there, but no, I didn't get um, get many of them. Right. I I just put that out late last night just to just to fill in some gaps or, you oh, know, like other people might have questions they want to ask you that I might not have thought of, but just on one of them is 150 comments and on another oh. one is... Crocky dick. How many we got on here? So there's about 175 questions. Oh, but... oh, so bloody, <laughs> how many's on your site then, Jim? There's there's yeah, a, must, a must couple, be. <laughs> yeah, a couple of thousand, but they're oh hell. To be honest, this this has generated a lot more interest than I thought because there's yeah, I think a lot of people don't even know what that the DC three even used to do top dressing, mm. which blows my mind. Yeah, and, and I, mine too. Because <laughs> I only know it from, because I'm from Bulls and we'd drive up through Mangaweka, we'd go camping in Mangaweka and that yeah. plane was parked up there or, you know, the cookie time the, plane. Yeah, APK. They're sitting at Shannon now looking, it's on a mark for 86 grand. Yeah. Mm, yeah sad it's, to see it sitting up there just deteriorating. It is, yeah. Mm. It used to be cool as a young fella going up there and, just staring at the cockpit yeah. for me anyway. <laughs> it was even, yeah. yeah. Have you flown that one? It was the first one I flew. Oh, really? First ever demo rating with Bob Allen in APK. Yeah. Mm. That, whereabouts was that? That's in Napier. Wow. Yeah, because I was still flying the Beaver based in Napier then, and that's what set the opportunities for getting more uh, more decks coming in on the field, you know, and they gave me the opportunity to, interested to fly in them. I said, well, Opportunities there. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, so cool. while I was flying there, so I did the rating, it was only about five hours we did with Bob. And mainly it was just single engine identification for yeah, engine failure. Yeah. And your um, procedures afterwards. And um, it was mainly a rating concern because they flew just like any other airplane. I've never flown a multi before. I've never even re flown retracts before. And I thought, well, yeah, this is all different. So on the throttles, we had no, there's no indication. Uh, and that's what like you have today at all the aircraft. They've got screamers when you bring your throttles back to a certain what you got. The lights come up, the bells would ring. Yeah. On the deck, there's nothing. We just had the green lights. That's all we worked on, just looking at those green lights. Yeah. There's no warning to sort of say, hey, hey, hey you forgot to put your wheels down. Wow. Did you say you hadn't flown a, a multi before the DC-3? No, and straight from Beavers onto DC-3. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and yet we only had five hours and we we're on our own. Yeah, we, wow. so we did a few circuits yeah. on my own, and then they sent me straight down to O'Ringi for the Ian McPherson, and he showed me the procedures for the company. This is how you aircraft in the hills. Did a did a few loads with Ian, yeah, and then he said, "Well, I try some on your own." I thought, "My bloody oath, I'm enjoying this." Yeah, yeah. but I must admit, the first two hundred hours was a wee bit scary because you know if something had gone wrong in that time and you think well, shoot, could I handle it after I'd done probably two or three hundred hours thought no, I'm starting to come right yeah and that was good and then the tragedy happened was with Don Thorpe we lost AOI Don Thorpe had the aircraft break up out of Blenheim yeah 
all the ground, all the decks were grounded, and we had to bring our aircraft down to Palmerston North, park them up there, go home, feeling all sad, and yeah. not knowing we even had a job. Yeah. But Field Air kept us on to see what results were, and then none of the other aircraft were fatigued to the extent as AOI. Right. We had to put it down to um, uh, where the aircraft flown, or whether it's the rough strips that Don used to work off uh, in the South Island. We don't know, but it lost a wing in the sewing area. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I've done about 300 hours on it. At least I can say I've flown at this year's three single engine, a single, um, single, pilot, single pilot, which is yeah. not many. It's sort of unknown up in the world, basically, yeah. to do that type of thing. And the, um, then they said that, oh, no, all the other decks, after done the inspections, did x-rays with NACIC, or NAC, I think then, um, did the inspections on it and found none of them were fatigued like this particular aircraft was. Next thing, we're back in the air again. It was good. Cool. Then yeah. I went down, blend after that, and I sort of carried on with the work, and I finished the job that Don was doing, and yeah. that was sad to fly over looking down to see the wreckage in the, you know, in the hills there at our territory. Yeah. Um, uh, the territory yeah. Valley there. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, someone actually messaged in yesterday saying that it's still... Still up there, all the yeah, engines. Yeah, I still... saw that come through. Yeah, yeah some still there. That was interesting. So, how long? Well, first of all, do you remember your first going solo or your first oh, couple too. of jobs? And yeah, I, do. I remember going solo just before Vinda goes solo. We up here, uh, you know, see, had the friendship due in, and yeah. Bob was so busy we were using the grass cross runway at Napier. And he got talking to us. The only way you talk to him, you just wind the radio down. So, you know, you couldn't, we were in trouble with the flight and we never even heard the Frenchman in the UN, the circuit, because he had to abort his stake off or go, <laughs> <laughs> had to go round again. Yeah, because we just, you know, too busy talking and Bob turned the radio up and here's the tower screaming at us. Get yeah. <laughs> Crikey. Yeah, then after that, he, Bob jumped out and right, he's on your own now, do some on your own. Yeah. Mm, no, I remember that. So it was no, it was great to think. Well, I think I'm doing something which I never ever dreamed I'd ever yeah. do. I never even had ambition. Never thought, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just how life treats us. Things happen. Absolutely. Know. So were they already top dressing in DC threes when you started? Oh your... yes. Yeah, they've been going for a good few years. Yeah. yeah they're fairly well established by then. Yeah, yeah right. Because yeah. I think we had about thirteen decks going. So I suppose by then there would have been. Um, yeah, I suppose we nine, I suppose, well, been me though on through so the James Aviation or through the airland days because most of the airland decks were converted into field air colours. Yeah. So I didn't actually fly for airland, but I did fly for Southern Air Super in the South Island after the AWP was replaced, uh, replaced AOI. Yeah. So they got that one in, and so I took that down to South Island and started off for that, and fairly new converted. Yeah. Got it hadn't been converted very long. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What's the, what's the the, the feeling like your first, you know, your first when you're getting off with your first load, when you're first starting out. I mean, because that's the bit that I try and compare mm. to with my flying, as far as how it handles, how far yeah. ahead of the plane do you need to be. Yeah, you've got to be feel ahead of it. I think you're fairly busy on yeah. takeoff. Is, um, 
you sort of get airborne and you raise your wheels. You want to get the airplane cleaned up quick as you can. And I was talking before about making sure that your top doors open. Otherwise, that's when you start forgetting things. We didn't have flaps. We took off clean. We didn't have flaps to take off. Is that the, was that a normal thing with all DC-3s? Apparently so. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it seems to be that way. Yeah, yeah right. And because you had, what, three power reductions after takeoff, so you're sort of bringing back your throttles, bring back your pitch, bring back, and they had to be in a uh, sequence, so you sort of had to keep your revs above your boost, so you brought your throttles back first, then you bring back your, and bring back your throttles, then you brought your pitch back. Yeah. So um, so when you increase power, you sort of put your power through your throttles, sorry, repeat, increase power by putting your pitch through. Yeah. And then you'd follow up with your... Um, with the throttles, but you sort of the, the two knobs are there together, so you use them as one operation. Yeah. So you sort of it just went from your throttles, then take your hand up and bring your power uh, revs back. And then that, you go to throttle. Is it that flying over square? Is that what that? So you'd always be what one over square, two over it, square. It varied, it varied yeah. kind of it actually. Mm. And the beef is the same too. We had the same sort of only one engine, but you still had to keep your correspondent what do you call it? Between your revs and your boost, they had to be in a range. That's that's yeah. it. We had to work on that range to look after the engine basically. Yeah, mm. and were the ranges like because. I'm quite a lazy pilot. I, I I look at the gauge and I see like the yellow line and the red line. So mm. I don't I don't need to look at the numbers. I can With, say, oh yeah, mm. I'm in the green now. Yeah. Was it the same? Yeah, it's, it's similar. It, yeah. uh, but the thing is, um, synchronization was a uh, what you call it, the critical thing. What you like to do is you like to make the engine sound right. Right. And you sort of bring the say the throttles back, and then you bring your pitch. Back and then oh, I've got to get this right, and then you'll because we had no synchronize. Some of the aircraft actually had synchronizers in them, so it indicated it showed when the engines were in the other it weren't swinging that whether you didn't have exactly the same revs, yeah. But just alter your pitch just a wee bit, and you can just and then you can hear that. Just, yeah, is that that pulse in your that ear? Pulse in that your ear. Ear. Yeah, yeah, that's what you go for. You want to go for, just for that sound because it does sound good because it, you know, blokes I've flown with and other chaps you hear that they going over. That's untidy. <laughs> <laughs> so can you hear it from the ground when it's out of sight? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh. I could hear it from here. If, a, um, you know, if the Catalina or something came over here, yeah. you know, probably not so much now, probably. Yeah. but those days where your ears were quite tuned to to that sound of a 2830s, yeah. you sort of get quite tuned to them. Yeah. Oh, I still look outside when I hear a top-dressing plane. I'm always <laughs> critiquing them. <laughs> yeah. Quietly, just to myself, because yeah. I know I'm not the best either. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And we're talking before about, um, uh, oh, Ron, Ron Sheehan. Ron Sheehan, yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't click until the other day that we we both – Shared him as a loader driver because he used to load for me when I was with Wanganui for a bit. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah, yeah. temporarily yeah. for a bit. Yeah, yeah. He came up to Mokawiti Valley, sort of between Tikawiti and Taranui there, and we were doing a job. I'm not sure how long he was there, but man, he had some good stories. He was neat. He yeah. was a neat chap. He stuttered a bit, but yeah. he he was. He was, he was really good. One get, get, hell of a guy. Yeah, getting a bit excited. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah every time, because I just so happened to have the Fletcher then, I think I didn't have a Cresco, so we'd all, you could shut down at smoko time at least. Oh, and, get, yep. and always, mm. I, don't, I know I could just 
say one little thing about the DC3 and he'd spark off with a story. Yeah. But man, he has good value. He's, he's also the fastest loaded driver that I'd ever had. And mm-hmm. he, we, I did my fastest hour with him, which was, I think, 22 or 23 loads in an hour. Bloody hell, let's put it under two minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was mm. line we were taking off. And then yeah. just going across the road and boy, line yeah. goes on heavy. Yeah. And the load was there ready for you when you yeah. got back in. Yeah, yeah. That, that's quick going. Yeah. Bloody I was always yeah. trying to get tips off him how he was doing it. But he was, he was telling me little things like you could see the just before the load finished, a, a little clump would go and you knew <laughs> then just back out then there's no there's point no, waiting uh, for that last no little spillage. bit. No spillage. No yeah. spillage. But mm. no, he's a, he's a good value. I think that that same after I did that hour and we had Smoko and I was telling him I've never done that many loads in an hour before. That's, true. And that's, that's motoring, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And he, we weren't trying to either. Mm. He was just that fast. And we, I think I said after that, we should try and beat it. And then my first load after that, I took off, but I was in that much of a hurry. I forgot to get my load and Yeah, and I was talking to Ron on the radio about it because we, we got the radios we now, did, we could oh, always God, talk. Yeah. And I, I think I was halfway down, nearly airborne when he's on the radio saying, oh, are you... You've got something? Yeah. <laughs> like you said, oh, are you you're going to inspect the block or something? What are you doing? <laughs> but, yeah, good value. Top man. I hope I catch up with him sometime soon. Yeah, because yeah. he did call in on us a while back. He's in... Um, oh, He's still in Queensland. Yeah. Well, last I heard, he's still. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Jewel, she was in the office. That's right. With you there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Lovely lady. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. No, Both good were, value. Yeah. yeah. No, I enjoyed the time with Ron. That's good. What, uh, when you're saying it's a, a single pilot, so I, I already know that it's not normally a single pilot aeroplane. Mm. What did they have to do to, to make it like that? And very little. Yeah. Oh. The only thing they did was. The, what they call the latches, undercarriage latches. The, it's a lever. It's just a bit parallel with the floor. It's definitely at floor level. So yeah. small for like me, I'd have to just about look below the window or go, go below the window to actually raise for it. And then what they did with that, they fitted a, a D, um, what's called a T-shaped um, control, which with a little flick on it, you could actually flick it and it would flick the latches open. And then you could raise your latches. Those latches were ones the the positive lock, and they were in the carriage. So, so they were in all the time actually, except you know, while we're on the ground or when the undercarriage is down, you had those latches, which was another safeguard. You had your hydraulic undercarriage selector, which that select them down. Yeah. Two green lights to come on. Then you put your positive light latches in. Then you knew the undercarriages were locked in. And wow. Down and locked. Yeah, mm. yeah, because that was a, someone else who I suspect also flies or flew DC threes, but in a two crew capacity. Said it's really someone's always heads down in the cockpit, and it's really mm. busy after takeoff. With, it's, with it's, yeah, it wasn't so bad with this, but this you know, operation they had with raising the latches or raising the operation of those latches to out. Where you didn't have to bend down for it was good, and beside that, they had your hydraulic pump, which was there too. So if you lost uh, engine hydraulics, yes, yeah, so you had to pump that failure there. That means you had to pump them on too. So they had two selectors, but they're both on the floor. Yeah, you know, and you had to use that pump once just to get flat 
pressure to make sure I could have pressure for brakes on landing. Yeah. Did you ever have to use them? Just had to use that once, yeah. Yeah, you what happened there? It was just a uh, hydraulic pump failure. Okay, yeah, so just? You, you, know, just, you had to pump there, just pump it up because you had your two big gauges yeah. up on the right-hand side there. And they had two in the Audi, the top DC3 because you had one for your hopper operation yeah. and you had the other operation because you only had one set of hydraulics that operate your wipers, your flaps and your undercarriage. And the good thing, the engineers, is I used to hang around on the whole floor when I'm doing maintenance. I'm just finding out about things and the engineers got around to showing us what we can do because I was doing a lot away from home, away from, you know, on the strip work. And so yeah. they gave me um, blanks, hydraulic blanks, which I could actually shut off the either the flaps or the um, wipers, so um, you wouldn't lose oil through them. But you oh. still could pump off, you could still pump flap if you did have a hydraulic failure. And we just had a sight gauge up beside us on the on the entrance beside there. We just had a filler and a sight gauge there and you could just check on that. And the good thing was the fact that we could actually fill the hydraulic oil you know, while they're loading or something like that because we had a tin of hydraulic fluid there. So yeah. you, they used to get through a bit of hydraulic oil. There used to be leaks with them. Because, yeah. I mean, the poor old decks, they're getting old aeroplane and yeah. there's a lot of oil leaks and sort of leaks on them. Yeah. Mm. Well, speaking of, even the, what was the fuel burn, not fuel burn, what was the oil burn of those engines? Yeah. Yeah. They varied. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. varied one a heck of a lot. Actually, some of them would probably, if it goes through, we had these big um, 10, it wouldn't be between the, if I think there must have been probably 24 gallon. Um, the tanks were about 24 gallons, but we had these big, um, what they'd be, I suppose, looking and trying to convert litres. Yeah, so it'd be about, probably about 20, looking at 20 gallons, uh, 20 litres, I suppose, we'd carry, and you'd probably top up your oil, which is about the same amount as you put in a light aeroplane flying today, so we're using that amount of oil. So, <laughs> oil was, they did use quite a lot of oil. Yeah. We used to fill them up by the big, big can, which would be a, um, 60, I think it'd be 60 gallon tank at that stage, just a, a container used to go through there. Yeah. yeah. Holy. <laughs> yeah, no, there's quite a, quite a bit of oil that used to go through. Yeah, mm. yeah. And a, what's, a, what's a normal load like as far as timing? Because I, I know you've got your base strips, if you'd call it that, and mm. you'd, you'd cover quite a large area. So what's yeah, you see, the I suppose the quickest I've done was probably I was doing seven-minute turnarounds because the Tamanui we're just saying along the aerodrome at uh, Turingamutu, just along yeah. there. Yeah. You just say along the face there, and by the time you did your, you know, a couple of mile run, turn around, come back again, you're starting to put your wheels down. Yeah. You're turning the land, so your wheels only just get up, basically you're putting them down. Then we go to runs we're doing, like at um, the branches, which is working out of Queenstown, we're going up the shot over river, right yeah. to up the top there. So that was about an hour turn around. Same thing from Paparam, we're doing Duval Island from Paparam, and that was over the water, so we're... To get airborne from Paparam over the water, and we're right over the water, do the island over a short time, and with a load, you know, distribute, put your, distribute your load, and then yeah. back to Paparam again. So you over water, and I enjoyed those that long flights. And big day I did every twelve loads. We did there one day. I mean, don't tell you, but I mean that's a bit more than I mean the hour turnaround. So yeah, when the weather's good, and suddenly like the island there, which is out on the coast, and the wind was a problem. If yeah. it was a good day, we just went, we just went for it, and. 
we just had to put our books to make it look good. Yeah. We could change because we had enough bad weather days to, <laughs> <laughs> to, to make this things balanced. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're five tons. We're carrying five tons of load. Every, yeah. every time you'd never it, download? More or less. If you, just about nearly every time we have five loads, five tons. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. how, is there anything that you needed to do to – because I, I thought that it could only carry three ton legally. No, no, that was it's a five ton legally. I mean, oh, okay. we keep carrying with, well, looking at pounds, about 26, sorry, again, 29,600 pounds. Yeah, yeah, you use whatever mm. metric, whatever yeah. measurement you're used to. Yeah, so we can do our own conversion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, so that's what the aircraft had to take off. She said 12 ton into your plane. That's with fuel and oil in it. Right. Uh, so if we use a seven ton aeroplane and up to 12 ton, it would be a maximum all up weight, yeah. which is, say, say 26. Um, the NAC operate 26,000 pounds, but we're operating 29,600 pounds as an ag overload because we didn't have to land with a load. Yeah. But I did have to once. Right. Land because I had the, hyd- the hydraulics and electrics. So the hydraulics failed and I couldn't get the load out. Got in the sewing area and there's no way I could, only way I could end up by tipping it out, I suppose, going in upside down and shaking out through the top. But nothing happened underneath the doors. So I thought, bloody hell, I've got to land with a real overload because they weren't designed for that. Yeah. But then again, I've read stories about um, during the war years where blokes have made mistakes when they're carting stuff in there and they were going well over 30, 32, 33, 34,000 pounds, get airborne. And I thought, well, as long as it, you know, the landing's good enough. Yeah. yeah one mistake that somebody made overboard, they were taking some up to the island for taking up this uh, mesh netting for the coal uh, airstrips had up there. Yeah. And, of course, most of it was galvanised or steel or, uh, well, say, a lot of it was aluminium. And this job sort of said, well, how many sheets you take? You know, aluminium. He just sort of thought the number was. They said a number of sheets, so he kept the number of sheets, put them in the aeroplane and... And then when he got airborne, he got airborne, he's still full takeoff power, still 300 feet, probably, you know, three, four, five mile away from the strip. And he realised he had um, galvanised iron, which is nearly half the weight again. So he was well over 30,000 pounds. Oh, yeah. And he landed with a, with that load on board, but he sort of said he couldn't. And the good thing was that the engine, there was a real reliability on this. The fact that you know, he had that takeoff power for so long to even try and keep above the waves. Yeah, <laughs> crikey! How did your landing, your overload, overweight yeah, landing yeah, go? It was good. Yeah, I was, I was quite pleased. With it. I took it, you know, lot. I was coming in a bit faster, but the conditions in my favour too. At least I had a yeah, favourable wind, light wind, and um, yeah, yeah. No, I just just would make sure it's got to be fairly smooth because when you look at the bolts that hold the pivoting part of it, I mean, not much bigger than that, and they've got to carry all that bloody weight. Just those. When on yeah. each side, yeah, and, uh, you, you certainly thought about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah I bet you did. Now I've got to. I'm trying to find this um, this one question because it's about Derville Island, and where is it? I need to find the exact one. It was from a chap, Mister Maletta. So he Bob, used to Bob Maletta. So I, I think this was his. Be his son, I think, because Bobby, yeah. yeah, Bobby, my age. So it said, one flew fert from Paraparam over to what was my family's farm on Derville in the sounds. The pilot bought a load of dirty magazines for my great uncle. <laughs> Unfortunately, when he tossed the bag full out the window, they went through the pop prop and turned into dirty magazine confetti. <laughs> was it me? <laughs> <laughs> so... 
Well, if you know the name, it's obviously uh, come from the right family. It so. is. Yeah, I remember Bob Maletta. He had yeah. a, a um, PT, what do you call him, Mara, motor torpedo boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd used to come out from Duval and come into Havelock to um, yeah, to give us the briefings, that sort of thing. And I was supposed to go up with him one day, but it never worked out to get out to Duval. But he had yeah. this big, powerful boat wow. to do that trip. But it was a... I think it had a Merlin or something, engine in this this big boat that he used to tear up and down the Pilora Sound out yep. to Durval. Mm. <laughs> that would have been fun. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I'd like to have done the trip out with him there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool around there. We were just flying past there the other day. And actually, I don't think it was Durval. It might have been one a bit further. Stevens the, Island is the next one out. That could have been it. And it had a... Had a really steep airstrip that took off over the sound. Oh, it looked okay. beautiful. Oh, yes. Would have been such a nice, mm. a nice place on a good day. So I, I don't know what it was like on a bad day. I usually try not to fly on those days. Mm. Yeah, we did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how did you end up in, was it Queenstown? I saw one photo there. Yes, it was, um, yeah, with AWP. I went there, but Basil yeah. Martin, he was the one that was flying down that area. He got because he's living in Gisborne, his family in Gisborne, and he had to go back home for some reason. So they said, Oh, can I go down to help him out there? Because the first time I've ever been top dressed in the South Island, yeah. So, um, they sent us down there, which was quite good. They gave the car and accommodation, everything. And we used to base ourselves at Alexandra, yeah. So, did you take your Plane down. No, we didn't. Um, no, the Basil left the aircraft down there. So oh, we, yeah. we just flew down on NAC. Wow. It's so cool around there. I've done oh, it. Oh, it's magic. It yeah. was magic to have the privilege of, of flying around that area. Actually. Yeah. It really was neat. And going up to the branches, which you're going right up through the mountains, upshot over the river. And it was just about full takeoff, uh, sorry, full climb power to keep the aircraft probably the same height above the ground. Because that river came down, it quite a steep. It was quite steep the distance. Because you know, I thought I had full climb power the whole way. It's hard to get into cruise power until yeah. I got into the same area and and started coming back home again, all downhill. Because it was quite a climb yeah. to get. And you had to keep yourself enough into hills to know that if I've got to get in, if I have a trouble, I've got to get out of here type of thing. So you sort of go as close as you can to. You know, say the if you want to do a left hand turn, keep the wingtip up against quite close to the hills on your right hand side and. Just yeah. keep an eye on that. How much room do you need? Because they're, they're quite mm. tight in some of those spots around yeah, Queenstown. Yeah, I think if you had, to, if you've got a wee bit of height, you can lower the nose and get in, you, you'll you'll turn them quite tight. You yeah, can okay. turn them quite tight. Yeah. Did you ever? Never test... experienced it. <laughs> I'm sure. They go into this. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And as far as, uh like what do you call them boundary checks you know so how did you know where to go especially when oh. you're you're working that far away and without yeah. a gps mm -hmm. and all the luxuries we have of today well usually the farmer came with us on the first flight yeah on this and the worst thing i found that working the central otago there was a lot of them didn't have um, fences like we have today with you got posts and battens and yeah. well, that was all done with iron standards and yeah. Of course, it was rusty. Still like that too, yeah. by the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we couldn't, you never saw them until you come over it. So what we had to do, had to have a line, a, um, say a, lot, a line which you lined up on somewhere up the hill, something like that. Then you look down the valley there and had a line up on that and think, well, it must be about ready here now. Then you start sewing and next thing you see the boundary fence go past. <laughs> <laughs>
No, we, we, had, we did have trouble identifying boundaries down there because, oh, I mean, we knew in the right area, but you weren't quite sure whether they'd crossed over the boundary yet yeah. or not because those fences were damned hard to pick up yeah. from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the same goes with everything was eyeballed, so you were... <laughs> You're yeah. sort of guessing. If, if, if we had no um, GPS, no wood, everything was eyeballed, even the deck. It yeah. was all, we just looked at the ground, look at your trees, fence lines, what we could see, and um, or dams, lakes, and whatever we had used as landmarks. So we used to judge probably, I used to work on probably about three quarters, two thirds of the wingspan of the aeroplane, which give you a good spread. And we used to have a wee bit of overlap there, and we just worked on that. Yeah. It was all eyeballed the whole time. Yeah. I know sometimes you go over probably oh, flew over that just before. <laughs> yeah. So what swath what width would two thirds of a wingspan oh, so you, you, you say she had a ninety six foot wingspan. Yeah. And so you're looking probably about sixty five, seventy, seventy five feet, something like that. Oh yeah. Mm. Trying to do it's some math here. Twenty twenty two? Twenty two meters? Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well mm. that's pretty good. And was it all did you just have one rate? No, no, we had a pre-selector. Oh, yeah. You had a pre-selector. How so did you that could work? Just, it was just the um, uh, selection we had um, oh, on our side there on the um, console, which we could select you know, two, three, four, five hundred weight. The only way we could judge it, we used to have a mirror out on out on the wing, which could show that when you were going past your tail wheel, so you could look by the the rate going past your tail wheel. Just how thick the dust was. How thick the dust was. Yeah. That's what a rate you were. But then, if um, we're showing an area, it might be say three or four mile long, and um, and you find you know, if I've got that wee bit each time. Well, we just use slow a bit heavier to make sure that you sort of covered that area in that yeah. time, or else the other way would be just to extend the um, lower the sewing rate a wee bit to give us the full good long run and then yeah. just make your runs a bit closer together. Yeah. Do the same coverage. Yeah, yeah. kind of. I guess it works the same a bit nowadays. And what's the um, – what am I trying to say? Yeah, did you one run everything or would you – would you have blocks where you do more than one pass? Oh, you know? gosh, yeah. yeah. There's some fairly small blocks we're doing, and they were doing one after another. And we wouldn't do 180, um, 180 degree turns. In other words, we weren't coming back parallel to, to the run that we've just done. Very seldom you do that unless you're doing a big long run. A lot of times you used to cut the block in half or thirds or do it as a block and do um, one run out and just a gentle left-hand turn and be halfway down the farm. Oh, uh, yeah, the yeah. block yeah. And, and just do it on that way. So you're doing the runs the same way on each on, yeah. on each run. So we, if we could split the block, we'd do it that way. We found that um, it worked out the best. So you're sort of going out and then you're heading back towards the airstrip again. Yeah. It's economics. We had to try and to make the aircraft pay. We had to uh, do it the quickest way we can, get back and get another load in. And, uh, this one experience I had too with the Air Force chap uh, had with us too. I didn't come mention the book. Where we got talking to him, he was on the Calutha River scheme down there, ex Air Force, and he said, uh, "You got talking? To yeah, come right, come with you." He's done a bit of time in the decks, just in the right hand seat. Yeah, because I started the airplane. <laughs> Where's your pre-start checks? I've got to, it's, have we got to do that? 
And I said, Crikey, Dick, I wonder who we've got here. And then we started taxiing out. And when I had the swells for takeoff, he just about to bend an aeroplane. You don't know checks, you don't know checks. What do you... I said, Look, we've got to do it all here. I, said, I mean, we've, we've got to make a return for this aeroplane. Yeah. We don't, we, you know, if we were to spend all this talent on the ground just doing these, because we know the aeroplane, you're flying that one aeroplane all the time. Enjoy aircraft. Yeah. And you knew you had your four or five checks while you went through just, and you did that while you're loading, and then you finished doing that as you're taxing out, uh, out to the loading. Because once you got to the end of the runway, you didn't want to be sitting there, just turn around and talk off straight away. Yeah. Lock your toe, well, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did he last long? Did he do? How many trips did he join? Only the one. <laughs> yeah, because I just put him into the halls, you know, I just sort of show him all this, what you can do with a DC3. And he was, yeah. He came and talked to us a couple of days later, had a few beers, and then we, you know, he, he ended up quite good. And he did some damn nice drawing. He's a good sketcher. Oh, he yeah. did some good sketching of Bohaki and the the cricket day they had there and he had the hangers lined up and had all the – you can recognise the Bristol photos from the vampires and from your Dax and yeah. Avengers that were parked there. Just a big sketch he did for us. No, I, no, I enjoyed his company. Yeah. yeah. But oh, he, he nice. just had to learn that you know, we had a different, op, totally different operation to what he had there, you know, yeah. what he was used to. Yeah, that's cool. Have you ever done any flying or I guess you – um, ferry flying going up through the Alps in the DC-3? Uh, yeah, we used to, um, yes, one of the, yeah, the two trips I did just to go down at quite low level. Is so We never fly planned. We just take off either from Denver where I was living at that stage or uh, Palmston, pick the airplane from Palmston, go down there. Just go down through the Alps. Yeah, yeah, it was magic. You know, the early mornings because the sun be just rise because we leave Palmston as early as we can just on if we can see to taxi out because yeah. the tower wasn't on at that time of the day and we'd just go. Yeah, even yeah. so Wellington wasn't like the Air New Zealand planes coming and they weren't anywhere? Not anywhere in that stage, no. We just never talked to anybody. We just So they might have been there. <laughs> they might have been. <laughs> but at the time of the day, I don't think they would have been really. I think yeah, they would okay. have. Yeah. Yeah. In the wintertime, they might have been, but I was going down there in the daylight, and um, I think before daylight saving came in, actually. And yeah, yeah so we were getting the airborne, you know, probably four, half past four in the morning, something like that, I suppose. We were getting Crikey. the airborne. Yeah. Used to be down there before eight, down to say wow. Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair old trip. And you could do that in, on one tank of gas? Yeah, on the t- fuel we had there, yeah. yeah. So we, we carried. Yeah, probably we used to fill a bit more in our rear tanks. We used to operate the fuel tanks only and just carried enough fuel in the rear tanks uh, for emergencies in case you thought you know, they'd get in the sewing area and bloody hell, it didn't top up. So we can select to the rear tanks to get you back home again. Yeah. And we, if we probably, um, uh, I don't know, once a week, once a fortnight, we used to select into the rear tanks just to give a new supply of fuel so we could get that going and then on the sewing run um, out to the sewing area we used to change into rear tanks one at a time you do one then do another one the second one so just in case there's a fuel selection problem that yeah. you, you didn't shut off both engines so we used to only do one and did you ever have that happen oh, i did yeah, yeah i did it was um, i thought this load i'd take off from Danavik, head up to um out to the coast and selected on the rear tank just to you know, use a bit of fuel there on the uh, just on the on the um, port tank. And into the sewing area, I've just selected into um, into my rear t- uh, into, from the rear tank into the front tank because that's what we use in the sewing area. We use to make sure you got the good bloody hell, it won't go. No selection. I couldn't get it out of the rear tank. 
because um, all you had was just a you select on your console there. Yeah. And uh, there's no way she'd come out. Yeah, you know, I couldn't select them because we've got four engine tank selectors. Because there were the fuel selectors on the decks, they were engine selectors, not tank selectors, because you could drain either engine out of four tanks in the aeroplane. So right. you, you, know, you could take engine out from your port tanks and use them to your starboard engine. So you had that selection. Yeah. And I couldn't get it out on any of the selections. So I thought in the song, I thought, it looks like to go back. And that shit, have we got enough fuel to to get us back because it was quite a climb getting out from there and um, went to the side and instead of doing, say, four runs with a deck, what was I doing? Didn't two. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to get back home as quick as I can. Yeah. And I just brought the power back because I thought she's going to run out of gas on that tank. They just brought the power back. Mainly to cool the engine down a wee in case, of, you know, she did run out of fuel. Yeah. Or else they stopped the um, shock loading, you know, with a high power on the aircraft and then it's probably conserved the fuel I could do. But no, I had the fuel to get back there, but she yeah. was quite low, quite empty by the time I got Yeah, what was the... Uh, the distance or time distance from where you were to where you needed to land? Be probably about 20 minutes. Oh, gosh. Mm. That would have been an interesting 20 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you, yeah, we're, we're too sure where this is going to cut in because um, we, we, we did have our uh, fuel selector, fuel, not fuel selector, fuel gauge indicator. So they were one switch on four tanks. So you could actually just turn one, two, three, four yeah. on the tanks on there. So you're just quietly watching that all the time to... Yeah, gosh, mm. I bet. Yeah, yeah, I had, I've had one gauge, which was, was it overreading? Yeah, it was overreading, and I just started flying it. was it wasn't a DC three, unfortunately. This was in a thrush only a couple of months ago, and I'd never flown this type before or this version, and and I was going off the gauges, and the gauges would always say you've got. 100 and something aside, 100 and something litres, which is plenty mm. enough, and I'd go down, oh, yeah, if I go down to 80 or whatever it is, that'll give me my <laughs> half-hour reserve. And I and I was doing quite a number of loads, and they said you've got about two hours of of safe flying here, and I got to two and a quarter hours, and I, was, I thought I've got one quick load left. I can go. This was spraying, by the way, so oh, these are 20, 30-minute runs. And... I went out and the whole time I was thinking something just, I'm sure I was told two hours is all I've got and I've been out here for two hours and 20, but my gauges are saying I've got 300 litres, I should be fine. What? Mm. And then mm. I, I sprayed it out like a silly clown that I am and then came back and landed and got some fuel and looked in the gauges. I looked in the mm. tank rather. No, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So right. it would have, yeah. I don't know, I don't even mm. like to think about how much mm. I had left, but mm. not a good feeling anyway. Hell no. No. Yeah. No bugger that. Yeah. yeah. And with this problem I had too, the unusual thing was what caused it. You know, with the decks that years and years have been flying, the millions of hours they've done, how they could slip up on this was the um, the turnbuckles. That, you know, they gave us, they checked the engine um, control up at the engine there. No, that was okay. They came back and checked the selector where in the cockpit there. No, that was free. Where the hell is locking it? Because even the engineers, they couldn't work out it was. So they took the flooring out because the cables go fair way be down between the seats towards the you know, rear of the aeroplane. Then yeah. they go out, out to your, your tanks, wings. Yeah, this turnbuckles were there. That the turnbuckles, just as I was selecting, were passing each other, and one lock bar hooked on the other one as they were passing. 
Right. So I locked it on those two lock wires. Yeah, hell the hand could that happen? Just the vibration was enough. They've just passed it's quite close gears after they got round to taping them all up or else changing the turnbuckles so that they were not in the same location yeah. through any part of the selection. So that's just during that selection, that's where one, one just passed one and the two lock wires hooked up on that. Gee. And so, you know, if it's an oceanic flight, well, you've got all the fuel there, but you couldn't get at it. Yeah, far out. Simple as that. Mm. Did you ever have one, an actual engine failure in them, in the DC-3? Uh, I did. Uh, that's working out of Queenstown. I was in, um, we're going, sewing up beside Lake Wanaka, and I was going up through, I think they call it the Glendale, Glen, something or other passage from, from Arrowtown. You're going through a gully, there's a roadway through there, but not a vehicle one. I think it bikes now through there. Just yeah. sort of going through there. And they, the hills were quite tight, but you get through there, otherwise you had to climb up over sort of the Crown Range. It was quite a way around there. Mm. So I was going up through there, and I just tried to take this one place. I wouldn't like to have an engine failure coming through here. Taking the load out must be, you know, a bit tough thought about that. Then I've got a vibration in Europe. What the hell is this? I was just going over Aerotown. I'm just ready to go into the, through that gorge. And um, I thought I'd better turn out here by just shaking because we could tell with the getting a problem with the engine, you could see the uh, the port engine quite well from the left-hand seat. You could see the see the engine cowl shake, yeah. you know, above the cowl. And um, I looked out here, we had a mirror up on up top head, and that showed us the what do you call that shaking through there. And I thought, no, I'll get I'll get back on this. It wasn't a bad shake. I still had pressure, temperatures, everything was okay through there, but I still had that vibration of the engine. I thought, no, this is not good. So luckily I've just been briefed on a young block we're going down on Coronet Peak on the way home, downhill. So I thought, well, at least I, I won't have jets in the load. I'll, I'll do this on that property. So I just did one run as I was descending back to Queensland. I'd bring the power right back onto what you call it. And then by the time I'd got over Coronet Peak, she started to shake. So I was, yeah. had a nice set up and then I shut the engine down. And it was, a, um, she dropped a valve and went one pot had blown out. So they had to do an engine change on the aircraft down in uh, Queenstown. So they flew an engine down the following day. The engineers were, they worked like hanging. They got the aircraft in there within a couple of days. Wow. Yeah, we've got the engine replaced. Yeah, so yeah, they just put a, a whole new engine that yeah, didn't change yeah. the pot. Yeah, they did, checked it and found that the oil had got into the filters, so oh. they knew that damage had been done. Yeah. Mm. So whether I shut down straight away, and then it might have saved that, then again, I might have damaged the aeroplane. You don't know, and these sort of things. So I thought, well, yeah. well it's, I've got power to get me out of trouble. Well, I'll, I'll use that just because in those hills there you want to use any resource you can yeah. get your bag home again. That's sort of right. Thing. Yeah, so I just use that panel. I might have damaged the airplane, but I don't know. Then again, the pod find if I shut it down, well, I might have put myself in the worst predicament. Yeah. Mm. And you're kind enough to put the foot somewhere it needed to go. Yeah, well, it just worked out that way for us. <laughs> it was, yeah. We, so the company never had a five, you know, fork out for five dollars, <laughs> uh, five tons of, of foot. <laughs> oh, you're a good sir. <laughs> Man, that's cool. And is that the only time you've had to you've had an engine shut down or had to shut no, down? I had to shut another one down. It's the same thing. I was heading down south again in the AWP and um, picked the aircraft from Palmerston and uh, the engineers had just done an inspection on it there. And I was just going down towards the living coast, just right across the coast and I'm losing bloody oil pressure on the um 
and start with the engine. You know, look at the pressure dropping, keep dropping, keep dropping. Look at it, there's no shake on the cowl. Temperatures were good, they're holding quite good. The port ones were, the engines were good as gold. No shake on the cowl, because that's your first indication. You've got a problem. You've got a, mm. a real, you'll shake, feel it in the aeroplane. You've got a shake through there. There's no shake through there. And then I just, we had a, um, a flip book we carried with an aeroplane too, which is a quick reference book. So we'd hold that out and I'd just flick through the pages and the oil pressures, minimums, and looked at minimums there and she's getting close to that, you know, getting down like that. And I thought, well, I'll hang on to it. I might get back to Palmerston. But then I turned around and headed back towards Palmerston. Then she dropped down below. That's the only thing I could do, shut it out. But then I had the engine called power, brought right back on it and she'd cooled down. So I just had to feather it. Then do a single engine landing at um, back at Palmerston. Yeah. Yeah. So they checked it. They checked the engine uh, on that side there. They checked the pump. They checked the um, um, oil pressure at the gauge. No problem there. What the hell's wrong? Took the gauge out and the needle just fell off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the needle had come adrift. Right. On it. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess that's probably a good thing. I suppose yeah, well, better that yeah. than a real one. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, but, yeah. but then you don't know whether you have, um, you know, whether you should shut down or not. But I thought, well, yeah, she's getting down and you know, I had empty aeroplane, which makes a difference. You know, I was there by myself in the aeroplane. Yeah. I just returned to Palmerston. They just replaced the gauges in an hour or so later on my way back down to Alexandra. Yeah. Mm. So you, you sound quite... Blase when you talk about these kind of blase in a good way, like you're you've had these engine failures. Like nowadays, things like that are a one in a million. If mm. you have one little, especially in a multi engine, mm. but what was that the case, or were you actually you know in a different? Oh no, she's scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but particularly not knowing. And another incident I had too, which I must regret. We were doing from Woodburn. We're saying. Aeroparano Island, you know, Tory Channel, yeah. right out on the coast there. Yeah. And just in the same area then, what the hell's happening here? Next time I had full trim on it, bloody engines failed. I had full, then you know, I found I had full, um, well, I think, right rudder. I wound on the rudder to counteract it for it, and, and I thought the engine had failed. And so I looked up there, there's no shake in the engines, and all instruments were good. And I try and wind the trim back, and you just fly with full rudder. I had full right rudder. On the aeroplane. Bloody hell, so I so dressed that load in a hurry and stuff. thought I'd get back because I thought the engine was going to fail because that's what yeah. he gave indication for. You got full rudder. I had full rudder trim to try and keep the aircraft, you know, balanced. Yeah. And I called up Woodburn. And it's when they stayed called Woodburn, so they've got a problem. And um, I said, we would better put them on standby because I'm usually have everything's under control. I've got, um, I haven't shut down. I haven't need to, but I've got full rudder trim on. Looks like we've got a problem somewhere. In what do you call it? So I landed there, expecting to find oil all around the engine that time. No sign of oil. And I said, what do you call it? Then the driver looked at him and said, look at your bloody rudder. The fabric had gone off one side of the size of a rudder, which when you look at it, it was, you know, it was near the size of a wall of a house. You yeah. know, it's quite a big wide rudder area. It yeah. was, and it looks like it had a bird strike. And just by it hit the, hit the fabric, it took the fabric off that side of the rudder. Oh, and so the wind pushed it out? Pushed it out, yeah. Holy. Yeah, because, you know, when you come back, you're, all you're looking at is the engine failure. You must have an engine failure. But I didn't shut down because I had no reason to because I had no vibration. Yeah. P's and T's are good as gold up there. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought, well, yeah, so uh, that was unusual, that one, because I couldn't make out what the hell has gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Crikey. 
man, that's cool. What, do you have your tricky airstrips for for the mm. DC three, or were they all? Did you have your whatever length? Well, what length mm. did you need to be comfortable? Well, most of them were a mile. We need the mile. Yeah, but we had no runoff on any of them either. So they would your mile. You used it all. Yeah. But you could land to crosswind, tailwind and everything and operate them off the airstrip quite well. But most of them sort of worked in better. Yeah. Like even looking at Terranui, we had drop off of both ends, so we just had that mile and that was it. So if you lost an engine failure, right when you think you should never have a failure, well, you wouldn't have pulled up in the remaining distance. So we never operated. We never even thought about mm. these accelerate stop things in those days. We never, never – well, no, we even discussed it really. Yeah. We had that length of strip, and that's what we worked in. Roxborough was quite short, and that had awful drops off both ends. Yeah. To working Roxborough, I found was it's marginal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I didn't realise you worked off the, uh, what's the one we were talking about earlier by the golf course just oh, south of Manawaka? Oh, Nighty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because oh, I've. I don't know, this is this my claim to fame? I've worked off there too, not in the DC3. Yeah, oh, but... <laughs> yeah. And you would have restricted length. You wouldn't have the whole length like we had either, though, would you? That's right, yeah, because mm. you could see it went on for a lot further. Yeah, a lot than further. Where there, the, I think there's actually there's a, a roadway going. Yeah. yeah, we went right to the road. Wow. Yeah, we're going past that house, you know, and quite low past that house when we operated off there. Yeah. There must have been some people out there that would have stopped and filmed you and... It must be. It would have been from the golf course, you know, when we sort of took off. Um, yeah, there was a, a car rest park beside yeah. there. So there would be a lot of probably, there would be quite a bit of filming photos out there just staggering off those airstrips. And this one, they like to get a terminal because working out to, you know, towards the town, because we weren't much higher than, well, well below the tops of those trees, which is off on that southern end. Yeah. We're, we're well below those on takeoff. And, Oh, yeah, I'd like to get a photo of you know seeing the aircraft going out just through those trees with a load in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got no photos working off. The only one we got this was Ron Sheehan driving that truck, but that was when the old four by fours, the old ex army vehicle they had converted. Yeah, yeah, old as anything and break down. Every load was a breakdown, <laughs> but Ron kept it going for us. We got the jobs done. <laughs> yeah, he's a handyman, that Ron. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even realise you had the. The portable, the, the truck loaders, I thought they were all fixed base. Oh, okay. With the things yeah, there. we had nothing like that in South Island. It was all done by truck. Yeah. yeah. Ron didn't do much for this in the South Island. He was from Lindenburg. He didn't do the work down. I can't remember. I wanted Ron to come down, but somewhere, it didn't work out. We had some other chap come down there. But he was driving all night. Yeah. yeah to, to towns, you know, he sort of finished in the Centro Togo, next thing they wanders up at Woodburn. Yeah. So we're up there and probably turn to two hours, something like that, and he'd be up there in 12 hours. Gosh. <laughs> they did it hard, those those loaded drivers. I, I think very highly of them. Oh, they did. Oh, quite, yeah. They certainly did. I'm just going to try and find some more questions before I forget. I Yeah, I'm, I can't believe how many people have messaged in. I don't think we can get through all the questions, but we'll... <laughs> We might just skim through some. What are the what are some of the most memorable experiences you encountered while flying the DC three? If there was one. Well, I used to particularly doing Devalon, going out to sea. They would go low level, watching the fish. I mean, the fish were playing. Quite well, how the are we time. how are we talking? When what oh, are we talking? Two hundred feet, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah just yeah. I mean, you come polite. You're just choking out there. You look out the. 
at your um, uh, so you, you pull the engine down you look at this thing get chugging away they look at that prop and you think how the hell do I get a job like this here I'm flying a DC3 no one here beside me yeah. I've got this airplane to myself I couldn't have been in the you know how fortunate I was to be able to be in the right spot at the right time to to have an opportunity like that no yeah. that was really neat no I used to and even in the early mornings, the sunrises were magic. Late in the afternoons, yeah, Sunday evening, that's the best time to be flying. Early yeah. morning, late in the afternoons, look, it's really nice, self actually, Jim. <laughs> it's, it's magic time to be in there. There's calm, you normally calmer, smoother, and absolutely, you know, and the sights, you know, the rising sun or the setting sun. Yeah, no, there used to be some beautiful sunrises, and yeah, how old were you when you first started flying the DC 3? Um. It'd be 30, it must be about 30, yeah, 35, 36, I suppose, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. And how many years were you there? I was well, 11 years on the day. 11 years. Mm. Crikey. Oh, I'm very envious. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, so I suppose you up by doing, I think the deck alone, I think, did about 7,000 hours, I think, on, in the wow. decks, all on egg work. All, most of it's all for airstrips. Yeah. Yeah, so I was, I was doing the infant role at that stage, yeah, just flying all over the country helping it where I can and yeah that I'd almost consider that the better way to be when you can dot around all around oh, the place. I found it good that way it means it had a lovely thing I had a lovely wife understanding wife that the only sort of knew that I enjoyed yeah you know, doing it that type of thing which made it and the thing was because what we had was fuel getting fuel to those airstrips you know working out of Queenstown we had to the poor old drive in, we'd do, but every day we'd have a tanker with a whole better day's fuel. We'd get about 10 hours fuel, I suppose, out of the tanker. And during the afternoon, some stage, if you're doing I'd do a long, really long haul job and run, and he'd go into Clyde and had to refuel into there. So it was quite a drive for him to um, go, you know, from Queenstown through the Carrow Gorge. Mm. It was the old gorge, not like it is now. It was the before the uh, dam went in. Yeah. And all the way to Clyde and um, gas up and then get back and and then hop in the other truck and another load in for us. So I had to sit there and wait for a little while for him. Yeah. Hoping he wasn't going to break down because an old truck, they old tanker they gave us. <laughs> <laughs> but most of those strips, uh, 90 and the tanker I strip, um, yeah, they all had, we had our own fuel and slug underground tanks there. And we used to yeah. tow a little mobile pump behind the truck. Ron had, we had this pump. He used to tow behind the truck, and right. um, so we used to plug that into the underground tank and get fuel that way. Yeah, okay, mm. yeah. But fuel and getting fuel to us was a biggest problem, and then, as I say, getting super a lot of the time too <laughs> off these strips. Like say Napier, Gisborne, they've got the works right beside them, and they've just they knew they're going to have works, but we did have a lot of holdups waiting for fertilizer coming. See from. Um, uh, work in Blenheim, that, that manure came out from Hornby. So that was a, a rail up to um, Spring Spring Creek, was it, the railway station there? Yeah, then that, that had to be, be trucked out there. So it was working with the railways. It was, you were some real delays during, you know, losing just damn near half a day or nearly the whole day sometimes, yeah, just right. waiting for the fit to, to come on site. Yeah, and it, that's probably a good segue into the next question someone was asking is why they use the DC-3 to start with. Which it, it actually sparked a nice conversation of why, and I, I didn't know why, but what's... Well, I think the main reason is because a lot of the, particularly in Gisborne area, 
It was a long haul because a lot of that country there did not lend itself to airstrips. So mm. you, you probably had to go three, four, five, six mile to long, get it. Long haul for the fert trucks, you're saying? Uh, no, mainly long haul for the um, to get a suitable airstrip. You know, a lot of farms couldn't get airstrips on their farms because they never didn't lend to it. Yeah. So they had to cut for the trucks had a fair way to bring the fert into that area. Then they had to get the aircraft, you know, so they fed up to the strips and just found by the cost that they came into it and found by the, the aircraft, picking them fertiliser up, you know, at an aerodrome, like in Gisborne. And yeah. fly that there was just as economic as it would be to, um, at that early stage before pre-offer prices and all that sort of thing all went up. Yeah. But, you know, they've proved, I wouldn't say not for the whole 30 years, but they certainly proved economic for, the, say, the first 20, 30 years, uh, 20, 25 years wow. to, to do it. Yeah. For the, it's mainly for the long haul stuff, and they say a lot of the country didn't lend itself to um, light aircraft airstrips, so they were having to cut. When you got, to, I suppose you didn't know there, Jim, that you know when you got to cut three, four, five, six mile, you know, carrying a ton of like we were in the Beavers, mm. and we did something like that too, but they found it more economic to to do it with the the DC three. Yeah, right. Instead of carting the manure in the light aircraft carrying a ton, so yeah. better to do it DC three five ton at a time. Yeah. Okay. And what was the ultimate reason for for not using them anymore? Economics. Economics. Yeah, just economics. They brought the turbines in. I yeah. remember Dennis Clark when he first brought his turbine Fletcher into Gisborne. You know, Bruce Thomas got very upset because Dennis used to come up beside him and open up the power and just pull away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just that they, they, they can not like now I mean you've got your single engine turbine aircraft carrying a load of a load star yeah. and you've got only a third the weight or less than that one engine compared yeah. with two, two you know 1200 horsepower on the load star yeah so it's a bit of a shame it was a shame it was one of the most hard feelings I had when they sort of said well you're going to bring the aircraft I was working on South Island you're going to bring it up to Palmerston and that should be three, three days later but I did a I did a bit more for, you know, for the Danneberg Aerodrome, but I knew the numbers up. There's only three of us flying at that stage. I had one based in Gisborne, Bruce Thompson, Ramus, and he was in um, Wara, and that was you know, country fairly similar there, but yeah. they, they pulled the aircraft out of Masterton and the West Coast, which and that's when I went over to Danneberg. And then, um, yeah, Marston left only USA, Ramus, and, and um, Terry and I were sharing an aeroplane and, Denverk at that stage, Turi Mana, he, he was a great bloke to work. He was real good. Well, he was from Rangu. He I think he's from here working Rangu. He's on Beavers with us. Then he went on to DC3 a few oh, yeah. years, quite a few years after I'd been on them. Yeah. But we worked together. We shared an aeroplane. Yeah. In the summertime, we do. Um, oh, we, we, we used to probably get to nearly six, seven, eight hours each. And yeah, if we're doing, say, 14, 15 hours, an aeroplane would do a day for two pilots. And Turi's a bit like you, actually, Jeff. He was so tall. Yeah, he's good, good uh, real good natured bloke. Tall, that type of thing, and because he'd he'd do the early morning. This, say these days, he'd do the morning shift. We used to, one every second weekend would work. Then we changed that next day. So if you worked in the weekend, you, you didn't start till the afternoon the, the following week. And next week, you know, we'd start the morning shift. Yeah, that worked in it worked in well. Except to say, he was tall, very tall bloke. Because I'd hop in the aeroplane after me working and I'd disappear down below the window lines because he's so tall, he had the seat jacked right up and the rudder pedals way up there. I couldn't see out the window. And then because um, I laughed like hell when he hopped in the aeroplane, he his knees up around his ears and gave me a going on about you've got Dick's, Dick's disease, you've got. 
yeah, and then he'd unravel himself and push the rudder pedals out and lower the seat so he'd get comfortable. Yeah. That is a good luxury to have, being able to shift your seats and pedals. Oh, yeah, because the aircraft that had, like, the cool airs and the first fletchers, there's no adjustment on the seats, nothing. You mm. just had a seat there, and that's, that's where it's going to be. It doesn't matter whether it's six foot tall or only five foot three. That's you know, right. You still had to try and reach those rudder pedals. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Gosh, I need to find some more of these questions. There's, there's that many. Um. Well, yeah, this one's asking about the airstrip. So they're all, they weren't just sealed airstrips, so I knew that. Was there a, apart from the length, was there any other requirements that that was needed as far as, well, I guess mm. not your accelerated stop distance, but mm. drop-offs, any any trees, did that matter? Or was it always you got one mile? Oh, no, you had your mile, then you had your normal obstructions yeah. on the way out after that one, so it's... Yeah, always had fences off the end of all of them, you know, was just used as a farmer's paddock. Any time we weren't working, they were just a farmer's paddock, so you had sheep, you had cows, you had everything all over your aeroplane until you got that cleared off and because you go up to Gizmo or Palmston off in inspection. Yeah, we did our best to try and wash a lot of that off before we got down because the engineers didn't like that dirty aeroplane, not like yeah. that. So we used to try and tighten up a wee bit before you went there for inspection, but... Yeah, that was the first thing probably. And working at O'Neill, uh, not a uh, ringy down at Danavirk, that always had because that's quite a windy area there, and it's it's right angles to the Minnewatu Gorge. You can sort of work in there. A good morning, a heck of a heavy frost, and you'd sort of you know look out country there, and by God, the wind's getting up. You could see the ripples on the dams, and you could feel a bit turbulence there. And you think, oh, I can do one more load. I'll just do one more load. Then I'll better give it a miss because you knew what was going to happen. going to end up with a hell of a cross spin on thawing frost. Yeah. Bugger me, you did that one load too many. And man, we were sweating it out, landing up there, and you just juggling those throttles to try and keep yourself straight. And the end of the strip was coming out fairly quick because you had no braking. So we did have some anxious moments landing with a cross spin on that ground, which I thought would still be thawed with the frost on it, yeah. but it thawed a bit quicker than we anticipated and it was very greasy. Yeah, it was, I could imagine. Yeah. Has anyone ever ground looped them? Nobody's told me they had. No, I had. I've, no, I never had. No, yeah. I don't know of anybody that has, but there must be a lot of cases where getting bloody close to it. But um, yeah. no, there's no accident that I, I know of anyone hitting a fence, hitting anything on take for landing with a with deck. Yeah. What, what do you put that down to? Training? Plane? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's used for giving you a plane. You know, this history, it really wasn't. We sort of made up little, you know, embarrassing situations. You got yourself into occasionally and, and well, it came off all right. But uh, no, normally I always feel, you know, aircraft like that, that somebody sooner or later would have done the wheels up, just forgot to land your wheels because you had nobody to warn, you had no warning on it. No, there never was mm. no wheels up. Yeah. Or, you know, even a problem, I can't recall anybody having to shut an engine down on takeoff. I remember one or two of them having to shut, and that chap had to shut one down, you know, he got airborne and had to get rid of his load because he had that real vibration. He felt that first thing we can do is if you have any trouble with the aeroplane, just look, you've got five tonne, but jettison, you've got an aeroplane, then you can start doing something with it. Yeah. Otherwise, with a you know, failing engine, and it's all downhill. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Have. Have you ever jettisoned a load? You know, one thing, good thing, I have not. You have I not? I did not have to jettison a load in these days. I mean, I've signed heavy yeah. to get out of the situation, the 
you know, probably through weather or through, like I was saying, with the fuel selection yeah. or when we had a rudder problem. But no, as after taking like that, no, I've never actually had to do a jettison. Mm. So that can be adjusted on the fly, you're right. No, we had a jettison button up on the, um, on the control stack. So you sort of had your pre-selected and you had your sewing rate uh, switch. Yeah. So that, and then you had your jettison. So you had a, a panic button on the top of your stick there. You got into trouble, you just pressed that and the load would go on. Yeah. yeah okay. Just throw the doors open. So yeah. I, I never, nobody's told me that I've done a, um, uh, what do you call it, a jettison, unpredictable, anything like that. But oh, yeah. I think what happened, probably. Yeah. Yeah, so I think probably when they put the radios in the airplane too, we actually had the old big radio racks behind us and we had these big rack, whole big radio set up and they did away with it like that. And we used to have the hand mic, used to pick up the mic, like you see on, you know, the um, faces the hunter and these chaps just talking to this mic, you know. We had those for a few years. Yeah. And then the side, it didn't need all that radio again. We got the little common 11s, little radio this side. Then we had to press to talk on your right hand side of your stick. Yeah. And then, of course, you had your, you know, on the stick, they had your press to talk, you had your jettison button. Yeah, you know, I think, it's, as we say, that somebody somewhere, somewhere or other would have been called up and hit the jettison button <laughs> instead of the transmit button. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that would have been fun. Yeah. Shoveling all of that up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing I didn't mention too is the um, just, just drop your load off at this strip, particularly on these, not the mobile ones, these static loads we had at Gisborne, Marston, Oringi, or Denver Aerodrome, Gisborne. Is that we used to have a big counterbalance weight on the end of those. Um, um, the booms had a, just a big block there. They used to block used to come off every night. They just had two big shackles and pins used to hold the shackles in place to hold the block on. At night time, you always lowered the bucket down, but after you had unhitched the, the concrete block, so the load was sitting down empty, no weight, anything on it. And that's how it used to relax on there. Yeah. Because in the mornings, the loader driver had to get out there. The first thing he had to do before he even thought about putting the load in was to put up the concrete block, you know, put those shackles in, put the pins in, at least he's got the counterbalance balance right there. Of course, the, um, it's a particular morning, I think, he came round, bloody loader drive, what the hell is he doing in the bucket there? He's sweeping away, there. ah, uh, here's the bucket still on the ground there, and the bloody concrete block still on the ground, because you get five tonne in that, you know, on that great big cantilever, there's no way you're going to lift five tonne on those hydraulics. Yeah. Here's a poor bugger, so the only thing I had to do is get out and help him shovel that all out and then he'd have to shovel it into the hopper and put it back after he'd lifted up to put the shackles back. But yeah, I couldn't say anything because you knew the next time what's going to happen, you're going to come in. you got to talk, I had, which has happened to me, had a chat with us and you know, talking, you know, just passionate. We, we, we did carry a lot of passion, just tugging our cheek type of thing. And the, um, you come in, you forget to shut your hopper doors. Because he'd put the load in to see this dust coming up. What? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> so we just had the taxi board and he'd always have a spare shovel there. Yeah. <laughs> he'd just shove the whole lot back into the half loader and put it into the into the static. <laughs> yeah. Was it was it a push button or was it a flip open close for the doors? Just a uh, toggle switch. Toggle. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of hydraulic systems where it's just a push button. Oh, okay. So you've yeah. got a 
an excuse if you get it wrong because you press it one too many times. But oh, I get you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the stupidest thing you've done in the plane? Do you think I'd admit it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this fella does say he asked that after they've had a couple of beers. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's really cool. Yeah. Do you have a um, the best edge trip? Actually, Gisborne, Gisborne working out of there, a lot of times in the morning when I've been working there, the windsocks at either end point towards each other. So no matter mm. what you're doing, you're you're on a tailwind. Did, mm. Was that the same when you were operating off there? Terminary was the only problem I had there. Yeah, oh, okay. Terminary used to have the windsocks pointing both ends, both ways. Yeah, you get a westerly light, westerly blowing over there. Yeah, yeah, it used to take off part of it was on yeah, on a tailwind, and it wasn't over long. There wasn't a great margin on Terminary. No, but um, no, we could accept a reasonable tailwind. I was, yeah, I was quite surprised with the deck, just what we could, and same with tailwind landings because. Most of my airstrips in there mm. I've worked off. Gisborne, you always had a choice. I mean, the tower told you to land. In Gisborne, because it had the railway line there, we couldn't work off the seal in the morning. First thing, the tower wouldn't come on to say, 6 o'clock, and we'd be so well before then. So we had to use the other runways for, oh. for takeoff from Gisborne because the because the railway line, the one's restriction they put on it. Yeah, so it was <laughs> still an operational It's still, thing. yeah, it's operating in those days, yeah. Wow. So um, until the tower came on, then we could operate off the seal. But after then, we just operated off the grass, which was most convenient for the wind. Or, yeah. And you look at, you know, because there's about five four runways on there. Was, there's quite a good selection of grass runways. And mm. you try and go somewhere where it's, you're not going to be a nuisance to the public. Because I think one runway took us right over the campground and everything. It took us towards, the, say, the northeast. But we try and get a north-westerly one goat on that. If, I think it was a bit more marginal, but... Bit shorter, but yeah, just to try and stop any inconvenience in the yeah the public. Yeah, that's right. I've definitely worked with a tailwind at Tamaranui, but most of the time it's fog that's the issue there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, good old place that though. I don't bag Tamaranui. I love it there, even though it is always foggy. With <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. I think Ron enjoyed reminiscing. While he was there as well, good. He, yeah. he definitely had plenty of stories because that whole—I'm not sure if it's the same bin, but what's it at the northern end? There was still quite a prominent, almost it, taxi. It's way. a loading area, yeah. right out there. It was quite away off the runway, basically, yeah, mm. like right in the corner where the road comes mm. off there. That's where the bin was. That's right. Yeah, yeah. was every fueler had a um, underground tank up beside the bin there oh, as yeah. well. That's where we, we refueled. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, we didn't have that. You'd leave the engines going while you're loading? You, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, while we're loading. Because we're only on the ground there, you know, particularly on the static loaders. You know, Craig, they, you, would be, you wouldn't be a minute, minute and a half, under two minutes. You'd actually be wheels wheels down to um, going through and, and airborne again. So this is, say, like working O and IT and that sort of thing, but with controlled air environments because you sort of had to taxi where they told you to. It didn't yeah. work out quite the same. But so like so O-Ringy and the, say, the Danavirk Aerodrome when we moved onto the Danavirk Aerodrome, yeah, he was on the ground a limited time because you just yeah. started and load went straight in and then you, were, you only had a short taxi to the end of the in, in your way. Yeah, that's cool. 
Uh, a lot of these messages are just saying how cool it is and half of them have seen you flying or some of your colleagues flying and said it's amazing. But you've also got a book. You've got a book you've done which is showcasing everything you've done, not just your DC-3 because you started on the Tiger Moths. Tiger Moths, yeah. That was our initial training. That's all we had, Tiger Moths then for training. Yeah. All the aero clubs had Tiger Moths. What did that... What was that per hour to hire? Actually, when you look at relative what we're paying for fuel, paying for you know price for car today or price for house, it was it's very much the same. We're paying about two pound. I think it's about two pound five shillings an hour, which would correlate to what's that for? Say about five five dollars an hour. Yeah. Then again, you're only paying probably I'd say six hundred pounds for a car, brand new Holden's. Holden sedan, something like that, and you're yeah. paying what two thousand pound for a um, for a nice home. Yeah, so realistically, you look at the price today, you think it's crazy. Dick, you're paying what three forty for up to four hundred dollars an hour, yeah. I think, for training. Realistically, when you look at the apprenticeship wage, the apprentice were paid. We were it would cost us more on our apprenticeship wage than what you would look at apprentice, so just a general apprentice with his electrician or plumber or in a motor trade. You'd probably find it cheaper for them to fly today. It may yeah, not right. after the last big increases with insurance that things say up to say three, four, five years ago. It would it would have been in our day. Yeah. Because okay. it's taken me nearly yeah, I can't remember what it'd be I, I could only afford to do half an hour, probably a fortnight. Because by the time I paid, you know, board at home, that type of thing and you know, yeah, on a right. apprenticeship weight. So it was no dearer flying today and what we were paying for it in those days basically we look at relative to what the apprentice gets paid and what yeah today to compare what when I did my train training oh that's that's pretty cool wow how are we for time shall we shall we wrap this up now but maybe if we get a million people that comment on this we could maybe do another one Neville what do you reckon if, if you want the time for it, Jim, I, no, I've got, I, I, I've got I, I, I a long time. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've only scratched the surface as far as I'm concerned. We haven't even touched on your tiger moths or your mm. your early top dressing. But, yeah, as far as your book, though, where what what's it called and, and how can people yeah, find yeah. out about it? What's, it's what's it about? It's just a self, um, what you call it, a self thing I did myself. It's just a... Um, it's called the Tiger Moth to top dress top dressing DC three. It's just my lifestyle. I know I've sixty five years and flying. Yeah, continues right through because yeah, I think until in you know, recent times, I've just about flew every month for nearly fifty years. I suppose every some flying I do, you know, right through the whole time. So I was very fortunate I had that, that flying to do. Yeah, um, and it was various sorts of flying too. Wasn't um, you know, it's say twenty three years of top dressing. And then probably another 20 plus years or more, probably on tourist flying and then instructing and yeah, doing right. test flying. Did a lot of test flying in the home built aircraft, did a lot of evaluation for people wanting to buy aeroplanes. Yeah. And did quite a bit of that as yeah. well. That's how probably how I got so many types of. But yeah, the book's $70. It's just my story I wrote during. COVID. It's, it's mm. not just your story. It's more than just the story, Neville. <laughs> You're selling yourself well, short, mate. <laughs> well, well, it was my story, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wrote it myself. It just during COVID. You know, yeah. I just fell in time. I wrote it for the family, basically, but I didn't realise I was going to go this far. So, no, I'm, at this stage, I'm pleased. 
Yeah. I got around doing, but yeah, I still have a few copies of the book there, and, and Jim is trying to tell me to get more copies done. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm not. We'll see. Work it. How do think, how do people find it? I'll well, I'll put I can I can put a uh, a link. My site number is D H C. So I'll get that again. D H eight two two D C three. Is he at, getting it right? At Gmail. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, DH82 to at DC3s. Gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yeah. Wonderful. We've still got a few copies here. Yeah, not very many copies, but you guys are going to need to order some more in because it is a, it really is a great read. I think that. I'm pleased to you know you say that, Jim, because as I say, I'm not a writer. I just did it to something for the family. Yeah. And I'm pleased to write on to the right people that helped me. I really had to have assistance on it. Yeah. And um, and with say Tim Garman Wong and you, he signed it all out for us to. To put it out, just not a storybook, I try to make it historical as I can. Yeah. Without um, vulgar language or anything like that, you might as well say. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's extremely it's, well it's, written. It's, it's really, it's, you know, it's a, it could be a school library book, yeah, which is historical really because the DC3 was a unique and operation. Yeah. And I just feel so privileged that I was part of that, um, that history. Really. Yeah, well, I think the industry should be pleased that you've taken the initiative to to document everything you've done not a lot of people do especially mm. photos and mm. and videos and things so which for people that haven't seen it yet or read it yet there's there's oh gee there's probably only a tiny portion of photos in there as opposed to what your actual collection is oh, however yeah. there's a lot of photos in there it's just still stories too the other thing i did find was what to not what to leave out when we found we had to come to a budget. And there's still, yeah, there's still stories there, but whether I can put them back to that or not, I don't know. At this stage, probably not. Yeah, mm. well, mm. It, let's let's sell out what you've got first and then, mm. which won't take long for everyone, that's going to go to dh 82 DC3 at gmail.com, Delta Hotel 822 Delta Charlie 3 at gmail.com. That's it. Get your book, and then we can get some, all the bits that you took out of your book. That can go into book number two, or at the very least, we can talk about it another time. (laughs) Appreciate that. Yeah. Good. No, no, thinking back now, I'm pleased I did it because, um, only because I've, I was retired, so it fills in time for us. And yeah. I had the records there. I did not with the intention of everything I'd ever put it to print and like that, but it's just way how things work out, how yeah. things happen, really. All for the it's better, if interesting you ask study, me. Really. And, and I must put the um, feedback I've had. No, it's, it's been really humbling. It yeah. has been. Oh, that's it's, good. Yeah, it has been easy, Jim. Yeah, right. And as well, we need to get all of your colleagues that were around then to do the same thing. I know, I've been on to them. Yeah, yeah. as mm. many as you can. I'm, I'm on a crusade to get it. <laughs> well, just get Ditch going on his, his yes. book. He's got to write his story because he's been on to me two or three times about, you know. Yeah. Well, I think he's got, a, he's saying he's got a, um, one of I relations. Heard he had. Yeah, he's yeah. looking into it. I think one of his, not granddaughter, must be his 
cousin or somebody that's yeah. going to do that for him. Yeah, yeah and I'm going to catch up with him in a couple of days, I think I was telling you earlier, Neville. Mm. Yeah, which yeah, that'll I be think, cool. I think it'll make a difference because, you know, I've got, say, lots of books in there. I've got, you know, I've got a whole in the car sheet there, plus those all most of those aviation books there. There's a lot of ones I've got, you know, written by, you know, pilots, like, say, got my story like that. They've just put them into a book, into a, you know, 30... Thirty-five, thirty-two, thirty-five dollar sort of book. Yeah, but it, it was expensive to do it, paying seventeen dollars, and you know I've had to nearly sell the whole five hundred to recover costs, mainly because I've got professional people to do it, and it was worth it doing it that way because you know yeah. I'm just pleased that it's not just a, a book. I think it made it, trying to make it more historical. It's a lot more than a book. Been, yeah, it's full of full of really good information, and and that's all the stuff that you can't. That you've only collected over the years, the, the, the stuff that doesn't exist, especially the photos, because they're mm. all yours. And mm. yeah, yeah. And yeah. as well, there's so much more that we we we've only talked very briefly about the DC three, but like yeah. I still want to talk about the beavers and mm. and all the other flying, oh, especially because I, I was telling him, old man's got the BBX. Yeah, and you haven't flown a beaver, Jim? No, sadly. How do you get into it? Look, if your dad can do that. Because they are the most you know, beautiful, coordinated, controlled yeah. airplane. That really magic airplane. Yeah, I've never I, heard. No one's ever said anything bad about the Beaver as no, far as no. top. Well, any anything, <laughs> but top dressing as well, which is pretty well, they cool. They probably did have one failing, which we sort of accepted with your flaps, because the Beaver won't fly without flaps. Yeah, is, <laughs> are they like actually pumped? No, uh, pump. It's so just you, a hand pump. So but, you had to actually physically pump it every had to time. Pump it. Yeah, put your flaps up, put your flaps in, had to physically pump them. But the, huh. the trip was for those, I suppose, you had a pre-selector, which was another lever right beside your pump, which is selected for flaps down. The selector's got to be on the floor for your flaps to be up. Right. The selector comes back and it, it comes up to more or less a vertical. Yeah. And then you, and you say, you do your pre-select and you start pumping. And they've been they've been flying out all their then their life <coughs> on them, and when I had my mishap down at um, Cars Point Station, that was through misselecting. Right. And, you know, I've been on them for five, six years, I suppose, on beavers, and that's only sort of problem I had that one time. You know, I did slip up and just had to pre-select it in the wrong place, and there's been several beaver accidents which we put it down to the same thing. That yeah. pre-selected, and then yeah. um, and pumped them. Mm. Yeah, the, the, that might be. Sorry, oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you're I, right. I, I, I was, was going to say, um, what was I going to say? The so that Castle Point Station was it Castle Point? Castle Point Station. Yeah. yeah. So I nearly came to grief on that strip too. Is that the one where you take off and it slopes down and and you've kind of got to turn right because there's a Oh, rising ground in front, and if you turned right, the town was down there. No, that was in the homestead one. That's yeah. Ah. No, we were right at the back, right on that. What's the river? Not Bakatia River. Um, yeah, by Hunger Station. It's sort of boundary that there's a river right on the. You know, it's one of the last paddocks in the back. Oh, okay. Back corner. It's right by the coast. Yeah. And it was um, when the strips had a slope, then it went down, then it came up, and there was a fence up on top there. Right. So it was when I realised going down into that slope and shit, and I knew I was in, I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I haven't actually done a lot of work around there, but I just happened to fly off that one one day and 
had a close call and, I, and then I remember reading about you saying there and I thought, mm. oh, I wonder if that's the same strip. Yeah, no, it's the... Yeah, no, that's very cool. Because some of those blocks are, are big stations, aren't they? That's what I found, you know, moving from here, yeah, from Stratford of Taranaki and going to the Wairapa, just how big some of those stations were down there. Yeah. yeah big, I, big tonnages. I, for me, I thought Gisborne was the bigger, bigger jobs, but then down the South Island were bigger... Much bigger stations, but they mm. they never really do like the whole farm. We'd just do sections and mm. do it really light. If you need mm. to get that, feel free to. Mm. Like, there's a phone mm. going somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think that with the South On too, we found they were sowing at a lighter lighter rate. Yeah. Then um, what we're doing most of it is two of what we used to call time rate to the acre. That was our main. That, is that 100 kilos? 100 kilos per hectare or something. Yeah. And I'm not too sure how it works out. I think it's... Yeah. Well, yeah, so 100 weight is roughly... Say 112 pounds. Yeah, which would be about 50 kilos. 50 kilos but yeah. that's per acre. Yeah, it's a So year. then you double it to get to hectares or just over. Oh, so it's probably about the same. 200 weight to the acre is probably about 200 kilos. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Unless, if we if I've got this wrong, I'm going to find out about it. <laughs> I know yeah, that much. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Uh, what you got just on the conversion was was a bit awkward. You know, going from yeah. But as I say, we just selected the selected to what was convenient yeah. for the job. Actually, Ma yeah, make it fit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That because that's what I was taught when I first started. It's pile A into paddock A. Yes, that's as simple right. as it. Yeah. Put it. That's a weird told you. It made a fit. Yeah. I had one fella when I was loader driving, he had uh this was the farmer that came up and I I would only had a commercial, so I wasn't hadn't done any top dressing then. And he was talking to me, trying to show me the boundary so I could show the pilot. And he was saying, Oh, yep, this paddock, so it's thirty chains by Forty oh, okay. chains or something, yeah, and, right. and I—I've never heard that before or since. Have you? Oh, and, okay. Mm. And I—I was—I um, was trying to keep following him so I could memorize everything he said, and then go back to what what's a chain. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a—that was an interesting one, and I—I mm. I don't think I—I I think he was explaining it. Isn't it like a measurement of? It's a chain as a rod, which yeah. is the length is um it's about the length of this room. Yeah. I suppose one one um one chain. Which yeah. is how long they made the chain yeah. in the day, mm. which is I mean no. it makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose in those days, I suppose what a average step I suppose they only had way of stepping it out, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. Same with hundred weight. It's written C W T. Yes. Which confused me because Hundred weight is an H for hundred. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Simple things, but confuse my simple mind anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> we never had that. I was just straight. Yeah, we still had Imperial and what right through until I got onto refueling, I suppose, and yeah. in Rotorua. Yeah, yeah of course. Mm. Yeah, or didn't there was a plane that came to grief oh, way in Canada or something because they they put pounds in yeah. instead of. Litres mm. or kilograms or yeah. something. Yeah, stuffed up on their fuel. Yeah. Mm. Crikey. No, he did a marvellous job in that. That's six, yeah, six, seven, six, seven, wasn't it? Yeah, that could yeah. have been. He landed on that glider strip or Give he landed on a, a disused. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. No, he did. No, he did well getting everybody down, and as I say, just when the just during the conversion. Yeah. So pat me back home again, I think. Oh yeah. On the ground back at Rotorua. Oh, that's good. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh well, shall we wrap it up there? All right, Jim. For yeah. today, okay. If you're happy with that. Yeah, more than yeah, yeah. And, and we'll <laughs> and sell out all your books, and <laughs> and then we can come back and talk some more. Sounds good, Jim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Oh, Thank you very much, this. Neville. I really do appreciate that. Oh it's, no, it's no, it's good meeting you, Jim. And then yeah, affording you know experiences we've had. Yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's good. I suppose not until we look back and we just find out. You know, it's life's been good to us, been kind to us. Yeah, yeah personally, yeah. myself. Oh, I'm glad, mm-hmm. glad yeah. to hear that. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everybody. Good. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that, team. Huge thanks to Neville and Leone for their wonderful hospitality. It was great seeing them. If you want the book, it's only available via emailing them directly, and that email address is dh822dc3 at gmail.com. I'll put the info in the description. You need to email them to book and order, to order a book. And also special thanks to Chris Hoffman. You're the man, Chris. He paid for the flights to go and see these fellas. More to come. Have a good one.